Andrew. Andrew! Oh, sorry. <laughs> Just listening to some music to prepare for our quarantine music episode. I'm Andrew Ryan. I'm Natalie Sell. Let's first get to the stories on our radar. Dominating headlines in Taiwan this week was a fire at a Taipei karaoke establishment on Sunday that left five dead. All safety equipment, including fire alarms and sprinklers, had been switched off. The company that owns the premise is paying one million NT dollars or 30,000 US dollars in compensation to the family of each of the victims. It's also covering the medical expenses of the injured. Meanwhile, a number of karaoke joints have been shut after failing safety inspections. Former US ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley, has launched an online petition calling on the US Congress to back Taiwan's efforts to join the WHO. The petition also calls for an investigation into whether China covered up the COVID-19 outbreak. This week, Taiwan is celebrating several consecutive days without any new cases of COVID-19. Several hotels across the island have begun marking each day with zero new cases by turning on the lights in certain rooms to spell out encouraging messages. Monday was Koningsdag, or King's Day in the Netherlands. And to celebrate, the Dutch representative office in Taipei unveiled a new name. The change from the old name, the Netherlands Trade and Investment Office, to the Netherlands Office Taipei reflects the office's expanded scope. They also gave Taiwan's medical workers 3,999 tulips. And under the radar this week, the Taipei Zoo is requiring visitors to give personal information in order to enter. That's in light of COVID-19 concerns. The zoo is also limiting the number of people who can enter popular pavilions. The animals can get as close to each other as they want, but humans are being asked to maintain social distance. Today's word of the week is a Taiwanese musician that we like. Okay, let's ready see what to you guess, have. Andrew? Uh, Superman. Saya. Sammy. Sammy God. That's right. She's a friend of yours, isn't she? <laughs> yes, she is. Did you translate for her or something? Yes, I translated uh, one of her albums for her. Yeah, yeah, she has such a beautiful voice, so expressive and so clear. And I love her music. I love Aboriginal music, actually. It's just beautiful. So Wonderful. I think people should check her out. Her album is actually right here. So um, awesome. She's That's... got a lot of great albums out, a lot of videos. You can check her out um, on YouTube. All right, wonderful. A selection from the uh, Nanwang village, the Puyuma tribe, to start off with. You ready for mine? Yes. All right. I don't think I know this person. <laughs> Ilikal. Okay, tell us. Her about. name is Iligalu, and she is from the Amis tribe. Oh, I so, think I've seen this while I was researching uh, yes. Aboriginal singers. <laughs> so we both chosen uh, female Aboriginal singers That's from Taiwan. Amazing. Uh, she's from the Amis tribe. She has a fantastic album that came out in 2012. She won Best uh, Aboriginal Singer uh, Album and uh, singer, New Singer of the Year uh, for that album. And I just it makes me so happy whenever I hear her sing. So that's Wonderful. my choice. Check these two uh, singers out. Let's put these on the show. Now, we're dedicating this entire episode of Taiwan Insider to music. It's a great way to distract yourself from all of the terrible news we've been seeing. Now, a little bit later on, I'll be speaking with a Taiwanese concert pianist who's performed at Carnegie Hall six times. And he's even going to be sharing one of his pieces of music with us. Now, music isn't just a great distraction. It's also a proven way to relieve stress. And I'm going to tell you all about that in today's Taiwan Explained. 
In today's Time Won't Explain, I'm going to tell you all about the many ways that music helps us relieve stress. Oh good, I need to learn more about this. <laughs> all right, we have 60 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? Yes. All right, go. There are many neurological responses in the brain when we listen to music. There's an increase of immunoglobulin A, which boosts our immune system, and natural killer cells, which attack harmful bacteria and germs. Connecting with music also increases dopamine, which makes us happier, and reduces cortisol, which is a stress hormone. So whether it's creating, playing, or just listening to music, it soothes our minds. Music actually alters our brain waves, which helps us relax. It can even help you overcome insomnia. Listening to calming music in a relaxed position for 45 minutes helps you fall asleep easier. The beauty of music is it distracts us from our worries. And it's a creative outlet that helps us explore and express our deepest emotions. All right. Very nice, Natalie. Good job. Yeah. Just as you're talking, I started to kind of feel calm Did and relaxed. <laughs> music does that for us. So when you're listening to music, do you actually feel the physical response? You know, right away. I feel like I, I turned on like a stress release, you know, uh, magic, you know, <laughs> pill or something. Yeah. Whenever I turn on the music or start playing music or something, it just... Mm. Eat. It's like you're um, starting to operate on a different wavelength. Mm. And the music is very soothing. I mean, it depends what you listen to, but... So what do you listen to? I like to listen to jazz. It's uh -huh. just very relaxing and very innovative. It's fun. That's yeah. great. How yeah. about you? I like to listen to a little bit of Bach with breakfast. That sounds <laughs> like a good way to start your day, absolutely. Andrew. Absolutely. It puts me in the right mood and gets me kind of like not thinking about my cell phone and news and work. That sounds great. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And that's today's Taiwan Explained. In today's Taiwan by Number, we're going to be talking about Mando Pop. That's Mandarin pop music. Now, Natalie, I'm guessing you're probably not too much of a fan. <laughs> I don't look like a fan, right? I don't listen to that much pop music. so. Well, I have to tell you, I'm a huge fan of Mando Pop. In fact, I have to thank the Mando Pop industry for teaching me Chinese. <laughs> when I first came to Taiwan 20-something years ago, I would learn like two songs a week in Chinese. Wow. Sing them you at karaoke. Them? That's yeah. amazing. Well, I didn't memorize them, but I could at least read the words wow. on the screen. Wow. That's how you learn your Chinese. That's cool. how I learn my Chinese. Yes. Want to sing something first now? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to start off with the first question. What is the best-selling Mando Pop album in history? So aren't you supposed to ask me a number? Yes. I'm going to get to the number oh, in a okay. second. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, you can guess the singer. Jaso, close. Okay. Try a female singer. So watch it. Oh, a female singer, Ame. Yes. Okay. So this is. Uh, let's have a look at the album. This is oh, Ame. Really? Uh, oh. She is a Puyuma singer from the Puyuma tribe, but she sings in Mandarin. And uh, this is her album Bad Boy, which came out in 1997. Not her first album, strangely. It was her, her second first was album. about sisters, right? Yes, GMA. That's right. Ninety six. That was my first year at Taiwan. I like that song. So my question for you is: Is how many albums did Bad Boy sell in Taiwan alone? Five million. That's a lot. <laughs> There's only twenty three million <laughs> okay. people in Taiwan. <laughs> Overguess. Uh, let's have a look at the answer. 
1.38 million. Wow, so that's the best-selling Mandopop album. Yes, it is. And what's crazy about that is that was 1997. So that really says a lot about when the record industry started to... Yeah, so who knew back then that that would be the number one album and would never be surpassed. Now, I want to talk about a couple other uh, big names in Taiwan's Mando Pop industry. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about the Golden Melody Awards. Now, the Golden Melody Awards are like Taiwan's uh, Grammys. And you can see some footage there of previous awards. They hold it every year uh, in June. However, this year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, they've postponed it to October. So hopefully, uh, they will go up as planned. Now, which Taiwanese pop singer has won the most Golden Melody Awards? Jay-Jo? Yes, <laughs> okay, that is correct. Have a look. <laughs> so Jay-Jo has been nominated for 49 Golden Melodies in 13 categories. It's nuts, right? 49 nominations. I mean, at How this point, how many did he win? It's well, no, I'm, that's gonna what I'm gonna that's ask the next you. Question. Oh, you're asking I mean, at this so many point, now. he's so talented. I mean, he could really, you know, be nominated in 13 categories, that's which is more amazing. than anybody. So, my question for you is, how many Golden Melody Awards has Jay Cho won? 20. 20. All right, let's have a look. 15. So he's won 15. Good. Again, that is not too shabby. Not bad at all. Nominated 49 times, won 15. That's a pretty good return, I think. Uh, which female Taiwanese singer has won the most Golden Melody Awards? I have no idea. All right. Ami? Think, no. think Taiwanese singer. She sings in Taiwanese. Oh, what's her name? Um, the one who retired. Let's have a look at the answer. <laughs> Go straight to the answer. Jody Zhang Zhang Hui. That's right. Of. Couldn't think of her name. And she's there. You can see she's with a, a panda oh, there. Oh, she's so popular. <laughs> she's so popular. Yeah, she has a great voice. So that's just a little look at some of the biggest names in Taiwan's Mando pop industry. Okay, now we're going to do a lightning round news quiz where I see how much Andrew has been paying attention to the news this week. <laughs> and you can play along at home if you like. So are you ready, Andrew? Uh, never. Never ready. You did <laughs> <Okay>. pretty well. <laughs> All right. Okay, ready, go. What tragedy hit a cash box KTV this past weekend? A fire. That's right. Name what a survey found to be Taiwan's top three social media. Uh, t Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, Line. Facebook, number one, 99%, then Instagram at 39%, and then Twitter at 6%. Okay. And then what prominent U.S. diplomat started an online petition calling on the U.S. Congress to support Taiwan's bid to join the WHO and to probe whether China covered up the COVID-19 outbreak? Nikki Haley. That's right. Which U.S. official did Health Minister Chen Shizong have a half-hour video conference with on Monday? Mm, Mike Pence. U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services... Alex Azar. Oh, okay. On Tuesday, the 100th day of the establishment of the Central Epidemic Command Center, who did Health Minister Chen Shizong thank and attribute Taiwan's progress in fighting the epidemic? Uh, medical workers, first line. People. Oh, people. The public, all of us. <laughs> so okay. yes, I got that yeah. one right. <laughs> They're part of it, yeah. What Chinese characters did the Grand Hotel light up on its facade after three straight days of zero cases? I know this one. Ping An. That's right, which yeah. means Peace. safe yeah. and peaceful. Safe. Yeah. Also, let me give you one more bonus question. Oh, okay. okay. What rare site was spotted off the coast of southern Taiwan that people think is due to less human activity? 
Oh, wow. Um, dolphins? A whale, whale shark. Oh. <laughs> and people were swimming with it. You can see wow. the pictures. So actually the animals around the world are having a good time because there's yes. less people around. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that is our news quiz for the week. Finally today, I want to introduce you to a Taiwanese concert pianist, Xin Yi Huang, uh, who has played at Carnegie Hall six times, as well as performances around the world. Now recently he got his doctoral degree, so I guess we can also call him Dr. Huang, and uh, he's teaching at Queen's College. And right now, Xing Yi is sheltering in place in his apartment in New York City, but he is still sharing his music with the world, and Andrew recently got in touch with him to see how it's going. I really enjoyed the quarantine music. So you've been posting almost every day uh, a song on um, your Facebook page with the hashtag quarantine music. Tell me, why did you want to uh, start doing that? Well, so at first, uh, since I was preparing for uh, upcoming concerts, so I, I had a lot of repertoire ready to go. Um, so at first, I just wanted to share music through the um, online platform. Um, I wasn't thinking too much about it, but then... Um, <laughs> That's Cooper, huh? Cooper wants to be in the video. <laughs> you want to bring him in? Uh, he's, uh, he's lying over there. <laughs> <laughs> he's usually uh, lying underneath your feet when you're playing, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, because he's very insecure. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I was doing it at first just to share music, but then people started to comment on it, and then uh, people enjoy it, and they find like sort of a safe space for them every day, a couple minutes, just to reflect on how they feel and stuff like that. And then it, I was really inspired, so then I started to take requests and stuff like that, and then just to learn a piece every day and. It turns out to be a lot, a lot more work than I expected, but you know, it, it's wonderful. Tell me a little bit what people have said in, in the comments and how they've responded to quarantine music. So uh, uh, I, tried, I try to have different kind of music every day. So sometimes it's a little bit more med meditative and then sometimes it's like, you know, Bach, very like classical music stuff. So it hits different audience every day, and uh, people usually resonate with the pieces that they probably heard when they were kids. Mm -hmm. So it reminds them of sort of family time most of the time, and since people can't really see each other right now, and I thought that was a very good um, reminder of what that feels like when you can spend time with your family and when we can still touch each other, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hugs, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and what have the favorite songs been um, among the people who have commented? Uh, one of the favorites so far is Xiao Peiran's uh, Memories of Home, since I have a lot of Taiwanese friends on my uh, Facebook, so they all resonate with that piece. I certainly have loved it, so <laughs> I want to thank you for that. Thank you, thank you. So now uh, you are going to play a song for us today. Do you want to tell us uh, what the song is, introduce it, and tell us who you'd like to dedicate it to? Okay, so uh, this piece is by Spanish composer Albanese, 
and uh, the piece is called Tango. Um, as as you know, that traveling is a big part of my life, uh, just because of performance tours and stuff like that. Um, so I thought it would be nice to transport everybody to Spain, uh, just for a couple minutes, and uh, just imagine yourself being in Spain in the summer, uh, super hot, and then you're uh, um, enjoying a glass of wine outside in a, a plaza. So that's sort of setting the mood for the for the music, and then. Once you're with the music, then the music will take you through all the crazy stuff. That sounds wonderful. This, the thought yeah. of traveling at this time, like it's hard to even imagine anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, do you have anyone you'd like to dedicate it to? Yes, uh, I think I would like to dedicate this piece to all the health workers, uh, people who are in the front line. Without them, we will be a huge mess right now. Now I know that people in New York City have also um, at times have been applauding for the medical workers. Yes, every night at 7 p.m. So Please. at 6.59, everybody will start cheering. And then right at seven, all the cars will honk and then everybody will open their windows and then start clapping and shouting. That must be really like quite an impressive thing to hear. The first time I heard it, I was walking Cooper and I was like, am I on the red carpet? What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> but then I, I read about it and I was like, oh, that's, you know, everybody's doing it just to show their appreciation. And I thought it was a very nice gesture and sort of feels like you're not in this alone. Everybody is in this together. And if we can stay together, we can go through this. Now we're going to play Shin Yi's piece in just a moment, but first we wanted to thank you for joining us for this edition of Taiwan Insider. Yes, leave a comment below for Taiwan Insider. I am Natalie So. And I'm Andrew Ryan. And now Shin Yi Huang with his dedicated piece of quarantine music.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Today I speak with a top epidemiologist in Taiwan about how we can prevent further spread of COVID-19 and what we know so far about treatment. Professor Ling Shenhe is an epidemiologist at National Taiwan University. Join me as I talk with him about COVID-19. Professor Lin, the pandemic is spreading like right. crazy. How right. bad do you think it will get before it gets better? Well, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, again, <laughs> it's, I mean, the worst case scenario we've talked about last last time, we've talked about that, is that given given the transmission potential, it can get, it can go, you know, as, as, as many as 60% of the population worldwide. That's the worst case. Um, we've seen success or current success is that countries are able to slow down or to contain or to maintain, suppress it at a low level of progression. So uh, it, 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 it's, it's still the future of each country is still at their own hand is how much they're willing to, to uh, put very stringent efforts and, and the people the people who are, who are um, really buying this control measures and complying with within. Um, how do you think Taiwan is doing? We are we're probably okay right now. We have, we have a lot of imported cases in the past few weeks, but uh, what's important is to look at the uh, locally transmitted cases, not the imported ones, because the imported cases are relatively easy to target because we know where they come from and we know how to deal with them. The things to look at next is how well we have uh, been able to contain the spread from the important cases to local community. And it won't be uh, obvious until I think the next two to three weeks. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, the sense of success, you know, both um, locally and I think there's some kind of recognition by the international society of how we have been doing this is good but we must not forget this is a disease that nobody has the immunity and once the level once the magnitude of control is somehow loosened then there's always a chance that the uh, transmission can come back mm. and we'll be we'll be facing a situation similar to other countries so there's no it's not a time to celebrate yet so most of our cases have been imported maybe about 85 percent or so so um of the few domestic cases does that mean that a lot of places are safe to go to um the gym and restaurants and for now i would rather use caution i mean Right now, at this period, uh, we're having a large influx of imported cases, uh, and they are uh, being home quarantined. They may have families living with them together. Mm. Families are not home quarantined. And we know very clearly that this disease can transmit early on when people have no symptoms or very, very mild symptoms. So uh, it's possible that the contacts, the contacts of the uh, imported cases may get infected uh, without acknowledging it, and you know just just go out and, and uh, spread the disease. And I, I've been doing um, personal observation, like um, 
just just by looking at how people interact uh, in, in many different occasions. And uh, it seems that uh, we are a little bit too relaxed right now. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're um, too close to each other when we talk to each other. And yes, without a proper uh, protection. Just imagine that you are a potentially infectious person because it can really go asymptomatic. And how would you do protect yourself, your friends, and your family? That, that is what we should do right now. So I know the government is considering social distance guidelines, like Singapore almost. Maybe not, uh, the punishments may not be so severe and, and so quick, but keeping the, about a meter's distance. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think uh, advocacy for social distancing is, is good, especially at this moment. The means of doing that uh, can be discussed. I mean, we're, we're a country of democracy and uh, we don't want to extend the power of the government like unlimited. If there is an um, increasingly warning sign of local transmission, depending on the, the, the level of compliance and cooperation of the society, there may be a need to uh, uh, strengthen the control measures. So do you think that um, a meter's distance is reasonable that we should be doing that now enforcing people doing this or like advocating or yeah either way suggesting or enforcing oh yeah i mean yeah i mean one meter is sort of the minimum because we we know clearly from the uh, various aerosol and droplet studies that you know you know not to talk about coughing or sneezing just simply talking talking loudly can generate droplets that can go quite beyond one meters. There are now plenty of videos from this kind of high-speed camera that captures the, you know, the, the movement of droplets. It, it's invisible to, you know, to eyes, but if you use high-speed camera, it's very clear. So two meters is safer than, is, is a better bet than one meter then? I would say, yeah, and, unless you, I mean, the persons are wearing face masks because yeah. having a face mask is not for the purpose of protection, but for the purpose of preventing the source this is something we call source control. So, you know, whenever you do uh, a lot of talking, I would, I would suggest uh, wearing a face mask. What do you mean by source control? Protecting the other person? Yeah, so the source is a source of droplets or the source of um, infection. So if you can cover, so it's just like when you, when you sneeze or you cough, you cover with your you know, sleeves. If you have a mask, it's like a constantly covering your mouth when you do actions that may produce droplets. So what are your suggestions um, in terms of um, our daily lives? Should we be wearing masks whenever we're talking to other people? Outdoor uh, may or may not, but indoor, uh, close, poorly ventilated place, I would suggest, I would just suggest uh, wearing a mask, at least for the, for the current situation. situation. I mean, this is, I would consider it relatively easy to do. Mm -hmm. I and mean, we have enough masks, and this is not adding too much trouble to ourselves. But collectively, this can, be, this can be like a vaccine. If done well and done properly, the source control can reduce the transmission just as effective as a new vaccine. Well, we're waiting for the new vaccine. Hmm. What do you think about how people are being treated now? Can you tell us how people are being treated? You mean treatment? Yep. 
Well, um, so there has been a lot of discussion about this anti-malarial drug, chloroquine. Mm -hmm. We have only limited evidence data suggesting that the drug might be useful. So it has, uh, as far as I, you know, my reading in, in, the, in the various reports, has been very commonly used, probably in New York, you know, they're using it very widely. In, in Taiwan, we're using it for those who are hospitalized with a certain level of sickness, but there's no strong scientific evidence about how to best use it, and when to use it, because um, lots of physicians are uh, reporting their observations that if you use it too late in severely ill patients, it seems to be not effective at all. And in addition to that, the, this drug has uh, side effects of arrhythmia. So if done, if it's used in appropriately without the, the EKG, the, the uh, monitoring of the, the heart rhythm very well, it can be fatal. I heard that in the hospital in New York, they have observed six fatal side effects because of the drug. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There's no definite cure yet, to put it that nope. way. No, I mean, I mean, many people cure spontaneously because of their natural immunity. The majority, I would say, yeah. But the definitive, the um, effective medications, um, antimalarial maybe the new drug remdesivir maybe because seems seems uh, still promising, but we just don't have enough um, strong evidence to you know widely spread the, the the notion. Well, how long do you think it will take before a cure is developed? Well, uh, for new drugs, it will take long, like months. But now what we're talking about is the reuse. It's something we call repurpose the drug. So it's not uh, trying to develop, invent a new drug, but it's to reuse what we have at hand, antimalarials, vendesivirs, other antivirals. They're, they're all existing drugs. It's just that we need um, evidence, we need data that these drugs are indeed working and at what stage and at what dose. And these are, these will be coming out. Well, how long do you think this pandemic will last? It will likely be with us for, for quite some time. I mean, it may, if, if all countries are doing very stringent, it may go down for a while, but the current kind of projection of the eradication of the disease is quite small. The possibility is quite small. Wow. Why is that? Yeah. Because the, it's, it's just so easy to transmit, to circulate. I mean, you wouldn't expect a flu to be eradicated in, in, in a human society because it's just, I mean, it can be sustained, it can be suppressed to a low level um, in the community, but we have Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, disease can, you know, kind of spread around. And you can't, you can't just stop the the, the flies forever, right? You, you can't just stop the communications or the connections forever. Well, um, what have we learned about surface transmission? Because you talked a lot about uh, social distance. What about what we touch? What have we learned about how we might catch it from the things we touch? Still limited from, for COVID-19, but there have been studies of um, patients with COVID-19 of, the, of their living spaces like air sampling, environmental sampling, they try to sample the surfaces, various surfaces and air, even air. 
And, you know, not surprisingly, they, um, the investigators were able to recover these viruses in all kinds of surfaces. So it's, 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 it's real and it's there. So again, I mean, talking about source control, having a face mask, another advantage is that you, you can, um, in case you, you somehow uh, become a asymptomatic or very mild cases, you know, having a mask covering your mouth will decrease, you know, the chance that you contaminate different kinds of surfaces, mm. right? You said that it was left in the air for a while for some people? Um, yep, yeah, they do air sampling and they found it in the air as well. How long was it left in the air? Well, it depends on, you know, the, the size, the size of the, of the droplets. So typically uh, when you do the talking or, or even coughing, the, the majority of the droplets are large size. So they will, because of gravity, they will go down very quickly. But some of the droplets gets very, very small right, at, the, at the size of the bacteria, like a micron, and they can stay uh, for up to 30 minutes or even longer. Wow. Yeah. And, and we know very clear from other um, respiratory infections that the question is whether for this particular pathogen of COVID-19, whether this kind of airborne transmission is a very effective measure for transmission. For some pathogen like TB, tuberculosis, this is the most effective way of spreading this airborne. But for many other um, respiratory diseases like common cold or flu, it's mainly the, the big droplets, the big ones, not, not yeah. the small ones. Yeah. Well, what about COVID-19? Is it big we, or small ones? We don't know. We don't know. I mean, I mean, big and small can both be generated. We just don't know whether the big ones or the small ones are more effective in terms of transmission. Oh. Yeah, but at this stage, we cannot, we cannot exclude the possibility of airborne transmission. That is Professor Ling Xianhe, an epidemiologist at National Taiwan University, giving us his thoughts on the global COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. John Van Trieste. And the destination, Jilong, 1626. By the 17th century, Spain's global empire reached even to Asia. Its major base in this part of the world was at Manila in the Philippines. There, Chinese merchants exchanged their silks for Spanish silver hauled across the Pacific from Mexico. But Spain wasn't alone in this part of the world. One of Spain's enemies, the Dutch, also arrived in Asia, threatening Manila and its trade. In the end, the Dutch set up shop uncomfortably close to Manila on an island now called Taiwan. Spain, it seemed, would have to respond. 
1626, the Spanish attempted to counter the Dutch threat by setting up a Taiwan colony of their own. Jose Eugenio Borao Mateo is a professor of Spanish language and culture at National Taiwan University. He's made the study of Spain's short-lived adventure on Taiwan his life's work. Last week, he walked us through the colony's origins, and today, he's back with us again to look at one of the colony's great weaknesses. Also today, we'll be looking at the myth of a Taiwanese El Dorado and the story of a Spanish man who claimed to know where gold could be found. Before we get into any of that, though, Professor Borao reminds us once again that the Dutch threat wasn't the only thing on Spanish colonizers' minds. A Catholic order called the Dominicans saw a chance to convert souls. For the Dominicans, the ultimate goal was to turn Taiwan into a launchpad for missions to the places they saw as the real prizes, nearby China and Japan. Yeah, this is interesting because um, there's uh, two different kind of objectives. One is the one of the civil authorities, which is counter-attack the Dutch uh, activity here, and the missionaries. Now, the missionaries is okay, this Dutch, we don't like them, of course, but, but our goal is in different direction. No? One is to enter in China. But at the same time, they have the idea of Japan. No? Japan changed and later uh, the missionaries were not welcome anymore and they were persecuted so they thought maybe for the meantime we have to stay in Taiwan which is quite close to Japan trying better opportunities to enter in Japan to continue carrying out the activity that we have started before some Japanese decompressed in Manila and they went to, to Japan, they were killed, and Taiwan was really the, the stopover into these missions. Huh? Running the Spanish colony on Taiwan's north coast proved difficult. That's because a large number of the people there were either soldiers or missionaries, and there wasn't much local production to supply their needs. Near the Spanish base at Jilong, the indigenous Basai people traded widely but they only grew enough rice to meet their own needs. Further west in Danshui, where another Spanish fort was built, forced sales of rice from local people created conflict. It wasn't just food that was a problem either. The Spanish soldiers stationed here needed equipment. We mentioned before the Basai tribes, they were more trading, and if they grow some rice, they were basically for their own consumption. No? So it was very difficult to, to trade. No? The people from Tansui, they were pretty forced to sell their own rice, or that, so they entered into some conflict. No? But rice is not everything, of course. You, as European soldiers, they need a kind of clothing, weaponry, they need something that cannot be produced here. From food to other supplies, the Taiwan colony relied heavily on supply ships from Manila but these ships didn't always come on schedule. Professor Barrao says the effect of this on the people here was heavily disheartening. Of course, you always can survive. He's more disappointed, morally speaking, no? in the sense that probably people expect to this relief to go back to, to the Philippines, but there's not relief, ships, so no way, you have to wait maybe for one year or six months, etc. It's more this sense of dependency but what about doing some trading? It had been suggested that the Spanish base on Taiwan's north coast might be useful for trade. Especially if Manila were to come under Dutch blockade again, 
Having this backup port on Taiwan might even allow Spanish trade with China to continue uninterrupted. But Professor Barrow says the timing was off. After the Taiwan colony was founded, Manila was doing fine. More critically, without the inflow of silver from Spanish Mexico, Spanish Taiwan had little of value to trade. There was little incentive for Chinese merchants to come. The idea of the whole trade uh, was, uh, in a general broad analysis, is to exchange the silver from Mexico with the silk from China, basically. So uh, for this you need an entrepot, basically it was Manila. And then if Manila was under threat, maybe Chilon can be a kind of supplementary port for this uh, entrepot system. No? But if it's not needed, the role is very low, decline very much. No? In fact, once the Spaniards established this colony in the north of Taiwan, the ships coming in Manila from China start to grow again. Only once or twice is recorded that the Spaniards made some important attraction and some important business. No? Because you have to exchange something. No? The only thing you have to exchange is the silver. No? And the silver, which is the one provide for the, the payment to the soldiers, to the military personnel, to administrative personnel, is the only people can do business. No? So if you don't have this, the Chinese, they're not attracted. <laughs> We've talked about northern Taiwan's defensive value and its religious value, but did it have anything else to offer Spain? Some thought it might. The island's mountainous east coast facing the Pacific was a place where not that many Europeans ventured. And at a spot where one of this region's rivers meets the ocean, it was said that gold could be found. An indigenous village on this spot called Turoboan was rumored to have lots of gold. And Professor Barrow says this story became a tall tale, not unlike that of the more famous El Dorado in the Americas. Both the Spanish in the north and the Dutch in the south were attracted by these tales and launched searches for the gold. There is indeed truth to the idea that Taiwan produces gold, but the Spanish and the Dutch were both to be disappointed. It is, after all, only some gold. The first Spanish gold-hunting expedition saw many would-be explorers killed in a massacre. Afterwards, the governor of Spanish Taiwan forbade all future searches. So, as you know, there is the legend, so to speak, of El Dorado, no? this place they can find in America, full of gold. The, the Spaniards uh, discovered that the little gold can be found was here in, in Turuboan. They found something, but the first expedition was a, a failure, was massacred, etc., and the governor forbid further expeditions. I mean, gold there was around, but it was not big quantities. But still, everybody has still in mind this kind of gold to be area to be discovered. No? I ask if there was much other Spanish exploration of Taiwan. Professor Barrao offers the story of a mysterious character called Domingo Aguilar, a maverick who may have come as one of the colony's soldiers. He married an indigenous woman and apparently knew the road to the golden village of Turoboan quite well. Later, when the Spanish colony finally fell to the Dutch, Aguilar became a person of interest, and the Dutch would try to force him help them find the village too. Two years later, he disappears completely from records, and no one knows what becomes of him. Probably only one is recorded of this. It's called... Domingo Aguilar, no? 
that policy came with the army at the very beginning. It's not clear he is a soldier or an independent person. He married here with a local native. He was really independent, but cooperating with the Spaniards here at the same time. No? He made some trips to, to Rowan. He knew the road, and when the Dutch came, they were very much interested in looking for him. And of course, he doesn't have any other choice but to help them. But it's interesting because in two years, or even shorter time, he disappeared from the Dutch sources. No? Maybe he was scared, or he just preferred to disappear, or he was killed, or we don't know what's happening with him. No? In the final reckoning, Spain's project on Taiwan, all those supplies and relief missions, became a burden on Manila, with vocal critics calling for the colony to be abandoned altogether. Next week, Professor Barrao joins us once more to talk about the colony's decay and the trial of a governor after the colony's capture. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. In today's Time Won't Explain, I'm going to tell you all about the many ways that music helps us relieve stress. Oh, good. I need to learn more about this. <laughs> all right. We have 60 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Go. There are many neurological responses in the brain when we listen to music. There's an increase of immunoglobulin A, which boosts our immune system, and natural killer cells, which attack harmful bacteria and germs. Connecting with music also increases dopamine, which makes us happier, and reduces cortisol, which is a stress hormone. So whether it's creating, playing, or just listening to music, it soothes our minds. Music actually alters our brain waves, which helps us relax. It can even help you overcome insomnia. Listening to calming music in a relaxed position for 45 minutes helps you fall asleep easier. The beauty of music is it distracts us from our worries. And it's a creative outlet that helps us explore and express our deepest emotions. All right. Very nice, Natalie. Good job. Yeah. Just as you're talking, I started to kind of feel calm Did and you? relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> music does that for us. So when you're listening to music, do you actually feel the physical response? You know, right away. I feel like I, I turned on like a stress release, you know, uh, magic, you know, <laughs> pill or something. Yeah. Whenever I turn on the music or start playing music or something, it just... Mm. Eat. It's like you're um, starting to operate on a different wavelength. Mm. And the music is very soothing. I mean, it depends what you listen to, but... So what do you listen to? I like to listen to jazz. It's uh -huh. just very relaxing and very innovative. It's fun. That's yeah. great. How yeah. about you? I like to listen to a little bit of Bach with breakfast. That sounds <laughs> like a good way to start your day, absolutely. Andrew. Absolutely. It puts me in the right mood and gets me kind of like not thinking about my cell phone and news and work. That sounds great. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And that's today's Taiwan Explained.
listening to Radio Taiwan International. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.